At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. The season of Lent is like a parable of Jesus. Wait, what? What did she say? I said, Lent is like a parable of Jesus. Now, you remember how often I tell you that Jesus doesn't say, here's the answer, but usually Jesus tells a parable or a story. Why? Because Jesus wants us to stop and think and rethink. Jesus is trying to get us to pause when we are in uh, basically autopilot in our lives and make us think and rethink. And isn't that in many ways the very purpose of Lent? We come into the season of Lent with this idea that we're going to open up some room in our lives to reflect upon how we are doing in our spiritual lives, how we're doing in our walk with Jesus. So sometimes you, for instance, will give up chocolate. Now, ordinarily, someone would say, would you like a piece of chocolate? And you would say, mm, I love chocolate. But in Lent, you're supposed to stop, not do your automatic thing, and say, you know, I like chocolate, but I like God more. And so I stop and I think about my priorities. Or you take something on, right? You you uh, decide every Saturday morning you're going to go work at the food bank. And then someone says, hey, we're going to the lake. You want to come? And you go, Yee! no. <laughs> because normally you'd be like, yippee, I'm off to the lake. But now you're like, no. I told God I was going to go, and you interrupt what you normally do, and you say, you know, I love going to the lake, but I love God more. 
You see, Lent is intended to give us this space to pause and think and rethink and get out of sort of these automatic patterns of our life. To ask, how am I really doing? Am I being fruitful in my walk with God? So we have this story here in chapter 13 of Luke, and it's a wonderful story for Lent. And interestingly, it is about fruitfulness. And that is, of course, our theme for this year, how we can be fruitful in our lives and how uh, our church might be more fruitful in this community and in the world. And, you know, if you remember, being fruitful is not really so much about I'm doing this and I'm doing that. Fruitfulness isn't about busyness. But fruitfulness is really about being open to let God feed us and work through us so that we might bear good fruit in our lives in the world. Uh, Think about Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit, right? If God is at work in us, then there will be... Things like love and joy and peace and patience and generosity and kindness and, and self-control. That, that these fruit of the Spirit will then be what motivates everything we do in the world so that God is bearing the fruit in our lives. When we get to this passage about fruitfulness, there are two pieces to it. And the first part of it is sort of people coming to Jesus, in fact, on autopilot. They are they are repeating things that they've heard and their minds are like, this is what's going on. So here's here's what they say. They say, you know, Jesus, there were these people and they went to the temple Uh, to worship God, to offer their sacrifices for the forgiveness of sin. And while they were there, Pontius Pilate killed them. They must have been the worst sinners ever. And Jesus says, no, the way that someone dies is not indicative of the fruit of their life, whether you whether you you pass away peacefully in your sleep or some terrible tragedy comes, that has nothing to do with how sinful you are. It's just like when the Tower of Siloam fell on 18 people. They weren't any more sinful than you are. Jesus said, you know what? The important thing here is that you repent. All of you repent. Now, this word repentance, metanoia in Greek, shub in the Hebrew language, is really about the fundamental human condition. And the problem of the human being is that we get turned in on ourselves. You've heard me say this. That we get to be about I, me, my, my way. Okay, I see things this way. I do things this way. I expect things to be like this. And then I'm going to see that as the way everybody in the world should be. Right? But God calls us to repent, to turn our hearts outward, to open ourselves up so that we might receive the grace, the forgiveness, the feeding of our spirits of God from God. And we might love God and neighbor. 
Right? Repentance is about getting ourselves out of the center of our universe and letting God be at the center of our universe. So Jesus says, listen, you guys, what you're thinking, you kind of got this wrong. Let me, let me tell you a little story here. And the story is about this tree that isn't bearing good fruit. Now, here's the thing about a parable. How should we read this story? I have to say, I think there are at least three ways that you could read this story. So, on the, on, in the first way that you might read it, you could be like these people who are coming to Jesus and God is this owner. And God is looking around and saying, ah, not fruitful. I'm going to whack you down. This is, you know, that sort of wrathful God who's looking to get us if we aren't good. This is about saying there are good people and bad people and God's going to chop down the bad ones. But if that's the case, then Jesus is saying, well, you then better be a gardener. If you think this is who God is, you better be doing everything you can to help people bear good fruit in their lives. You better be doing some watering and nurturing and and helping them along. Wouldn't you want to save these people if God acts in this manner? Which, of course, would be a challenge to them because no doubt they weren't doing that. So the first way we might do, we might read this is God is the owner and we're supposed to be gardeners. But the second way we might see this is we're the owners in this story. Uh, you think, well, we don't own stuff, but, but listen, we think we own stuff all the time. Um, you know, I'll pull out the deed and say, gee, I own my house and the land upon which it sits. Only if I really challenge us, of course, God owns it. God owns everything. God owns our bodies and lends them to us for for 90 years. We get this idea of ownership of things and even people that, that we operate out of. Um, some of you will remember that after some football game, Aaron Rodgers, and I don't even know who they played, some of you will know instantly, walking out of the stadium yells, I own you! It's a way of saying, I am better than you, and what I want is the way things will be. Now, that's the idea of ownership, and some of us operate under that where even Christians, where we're judging other people. We're saying things like, you know what? I did this in my life. I have accomplished this. Why aren't you doing that? Off with your head. Right? Uh, We do this judging thing based upon our way of seeing, being, doing in the world. But here's the thing. If we are the owners in the story... God is the gardener. God is like Jesus kneeling to wash the feet of the disciples, this humble God who who is saying, you know what, I'm not going to just give a second chance, I'm going to give a third, fourth, fifth, and sixth chance. God is at work for the good of everyone, and God is hoping that everyone will open themselves and receive the gifts of God in their lives. 
God never gives up on anyone. We may be like off with our heads and God is like, nope, nope, nope. There's still potential here for fruit to be born. Okay, so there's two ways of reading it, but guess what? There's at least a third way. And I think in the third way of looking at this parable, Jesus is saying there are owners. Some of you are owners. There are gardeners. Some of you are gardeners. And which are you going to be? As if Jesus is saying, you are the ones who divide, you are the ones who decide who's in and out. You are the ones who get to choose through your free will what your attitude is going to be in this world. And are you going to be one who is owner, judger, thinking you have the right answers and you have the right way and you know what God is teaching, or are you going to be a gardener? Are you going to kneel down and be at work for the good of others? Which are you going to choose to be? You see, the truth of this parable And I don't know which way Jesus wants us to read it. That's the point. But the truth of this parable is none of us will ever bear good fruit apart from the power and grace of the living God. We have to open ourselves again and again to receive from God. We have to look at ourselves again and again and ask, what part of the way I'm living do I need to give back over to God so that in that area I might bear good fruit? None of us have arrived. None of us can bear good fruit without the grace and the love of God working within us. You see, Lent is like a parable of Jesus. It's intended to make us pause in this season and to reflect upon who we will be in this world and let ourselves be open to the way God might feed us to bear even more fruit in the world. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.